I want to begin this morning by inviting you to think about gifts. We have just emerged from the most prolific consumer season of the calendar year, a scheduled exchange of gifts with loved ones, presumably in the spirit of celebrating the gift of Jesus's birth. I'm not sure the cultural and religious traditions are totally aligned in this case, but let's assume the intention is there. Gifts are intended as a thoughtful exchange, a celebration of the person or the moment that is being observed. So I wonder, I wonder what we can learn from the Feast of the Epiphany and these famous gifts that the wise men offer Jesus, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. What do these gifts and those who bear them reveal about God's inbreaking into the world? Now, despite Christmas pageant renditions of this story, the wise men we encounter in Matthew's gospel are full of mystery. We know very little about where they've come from, only from the East, meaning they are Gentile outsiders. They are foreigners who were not under Herod's rule. This tells us that the scope of God's indwelling is meant to reach far beyond any particular nation or region. The wise foreshadow a broader theme of inclusion that will permeate Matthew's gospel. They are not, as we have made them out to be, kings. They are attuned to a source of light that eludes the most powerful rulers and all of Jerusalem. You see, the most faithful of the religious leaders were supposedly on the lookout for the Messiah on the regular. And God's inbreaking did not show up on their radar. There's something about these wise men that points to the intentional mystery baked into God's incarnation. The gift of Jesus, God showing forth to humanity, comes in a humble, unsuspecting form. The gifts themselves also bear significant meaning. Gold, rather than its obviously shiny and beautiful properties, was intended only for the likes of kings. In gifting Jesus with gold, the wise men make a profound statement about the royalty they encounter in this unknown infant. Nothing could have been less expected than gifting the baby Jesus with gold. Frankincense was a gift traditionally given to honorable priests. It would be years before Jesus's full identity came to fruition. Again, an incredibly generous gift that far surpassed that which would have been expected for an unknown infant and his parents. The wise men's gifts communicate volumes about their encounter. Finally, the gift of myrrh. Myrrh resurfaces in Jesus's story at the end of his life. In Mark's gospel, Jesus is given myrrh in response to desperate thirst while he hangs on the cross. In John's gospel, Nicodemus and Joseph wrap Jesus's body in myrrh and aloes before laying him to rest in the tomb. We don't have any indication that myrrh was a gift traditionally given at the time of birth or frankly, at any other time besides death. Myrrh is given to those who have died. 
the wise men's gifts foreshadow both the significance of Jesus' life and Jesus' death. Truthfully, these well-known gifts from the wise men set all subsequent gift givers up against an incredible standard. How might we ever possibly echo their spirit of generosity and deep, deep meaning? I want to suggest that Epiphany might be an occasion for us to reconsider the gifts of God's, reconsider the gifts God's incarnation makes possible. With Jesus' presence comes the opportunity for our own perspective to shift. In Jesus, we find a humble, unexpected, vulnerable incarnation of God's divinity. God's inbreaking into the world reminds us of God's intention to be in solidarity with us in the most humble and unexpected ways. In other words, the possibilities to magnify this good news are endless. We don't have to be rich enough to share gold or perceptive enough to offer myrrh. God will place mysterious, curious characters in our path who will make meaning in places where we see none. Our call is to be on the lookout for the countless gifts that magnify God's inbreaking every day. I was reminded of the true possibilities that come with unexpected gifts when listening to an interview with Brian Stevenson. Some of you are familiar with his work as the founder of the Equal Justice Initiative and the National Memorial for Peace and Justice which is the nation's first memorial dedicated to the legacy of enslaved black people, people terrorized by lynching, African-Americans humiliated by racial segregation and Jim Crow, and people of color burdened with contemporary presumptions of guilt and police violence. The site memorializes the history of thousands of racial terror lynchings with 800 steel monuments marking the counties where those lynchings took place. It is built as a living monument in hopes that it will evoke a more truthful and accurate reckoning of our country's history. The following is Stevenson's reflection on the opening day of the memorial. We opened the National Memorial for Peace and Justice in 2018. It was just such a surreal experience to have 25,000 people come to Montgomery to see these spaces that we had created. And I wanted everything to be perfect. We had all of these great thinkers and civil rights activists and musicians who were coming to perform. And on the morning of the dedication at the memorial, it looked like it was going to rain. And I'd just been terrified at the idea that it would rain and mess up this experience. I was so worried about it and the clouds were just getting darker and darker. And just as I was getting ready to stand to speak up, I mean the clouds, they just opened up and all of a sudden it was a downpour. And this thing that I had been dreading all of a sudden became something completely different. And I was listening to these raindrops hit the top of this memorial and looking up at all of these monuments which were dedicated to lynching victims. And all of a sudden I had this awareness that this wasn't something I should fear. This wasn't something I should dread. In that moment, it didn't sound like rain hitting the top of the memorial. It sounded like tears being shed by the thousands of black people whose lives have never been honored, whose names have never been mentioned. And it sounded like they were shedding tears of joy 
that there was a moment of reckoning. And that's the gift I've been given by this legacy, by this ancestry that celebrates struggling for justice, that honors struggling for justice. And I hold on to that. And it sustains me in times when I need it and absolutely compels me to keep doing as much as I can. A moment of reckoning as the skies opened and absolutely assaulted the memorial. Of course, it was a meteorologically explainable event. But upon reflection for Stevenson, it was so much more. A gift in the most inconvenient and unsuspecting form. There are gifts and gift bearers around us every day. This morning, we celebrate another gift, that of baptism, and more specifically of Matthew's baptism. In choosing to baptize Matthew, his parents have shared a deep truth about who they are and who they hope for Matthew to become. Unlike many daily decisions we make, this truth that they have shared is not deductive. Rather, it's a hopeful declaration about the gift of Jesus and the gift that we are invited to participate in, in his baptism. The acceptance of this gift means that they find value in naming and celebrating that Matthew is made in God's image. In celebrating this gift, they are valuing the role that the community has to play in sharing the gift of Christ and the image of Christ in all humanity. The gift of baptism is that we get to celebrate alongside Matthew's parents this new human made in God's image whom they are just becoming acquainted with and the gift of baptism that he will enjoy now and forever. In this season of Epiphany, may we be on the lookout for the countless ways in which God continues to show forth in our lives and in gift bearers of all kinds. Amen.